Every interaction that you do in business is a person, a real person with a real soul, because business is about, it's about people. It's about people. We live in such a fast paced world with such a masses mentality, especially in business, that when you have somebody in front of you and you treat them like a person, they are shocked by that because they're so used to being treated like a commodity and not a soul. Well, hey there, if we haven't yet met, my name's Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, at Path for Growth, we have a very specific mission. It's to help impact-driven leaders step into who they are created to be so that others may benefit and God may be glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission, how that why comes to life. And I just want to start today by talking to you about something that I hate. It's something that makes me so frustrated. It's something that makes me so angry. I just absolutely lose it when someone says something to the effect of, oh, it's not personal. It's just business. What? What? What do you mean it's not personal? It's just business. Business is one of the most personal things in the world. How could you even say that? Much less think that. Unbelievable. And that's why I was so excited to share this conversation with you today, because it's with someone that I believe really understands and really has a get it factor around the personal side of business. Because today's conversation is with my friend, Michelle Myers. Now, Michelle is a mom. She's a wife. She's the founder and leader of She Works His Way, which is just an absolutely incredible community of women who are committed to using their work to glorify God and support each other. This is honestly unlike any online community of people that I've ever seen. The level of connection and personal growth that is occurring and what her and her team are doing right now is absolutely unbelievable. And the evidence of that is the impact that it's making in people's lives truly around the country. And so I wanted to focus on the personal side of business and leadership in this conversation with Michelle. And where we jumped in was her telling a story about a lesson that she learned from a panel that just had an absolutely killer lineup. So it's Dave Ramsey, Jim Collins, and Patrick Lencioni. Jim Collins asked the question and he said, What is the hardest thing that you teach to put into practice yourself. And he went first, which is again, a leadership lesson in itself and said, the hardest thing for me is I always teach people to teach your organization to tell time instead of you being the clock. And he Mm. said, it is the hardest thing in the world for me to help my organization to be able to tell time instead of just me being the clock. And listening to each of them give their answers to that, it helped me to understand some of the things that I'm most passionate about teaching are not necessarily the things that I figured out the most, but they're the things that I need to hear on repeat. They're the things that I need as a reminder. And so that's one of my things that I think almost releases anybody that's in leadership and communication from trying to feel like you have to be the answer for everything because more so than needing to be taught something new, most of us just need to be reminded. We need reminders more than we need to be taught something new because there is absolute truth 
absolute truth doesn't change. Everything we really need to know, God has already said. And so <laughs> That's right. What are, what are those reminders that we need often that are centered and grounded in truth? And so it it changed the way I think that I I I teach now with a little bit more of a awareness when I'm putting things together of why is it so important for me personally to teach this, not just from an aspect of what does the audience need to hear, but what do I need to hear in needing to teach this? What do I need to hear first? What do I need to do first? And then move into teaching other people, but teaching it in such a way that is like, this is why I need this. This is why it's important for me to put this into practice. This is how I felt like putting it into all spectrums to where it's not just vomiting information on someone, but really putting it into practical perspective. Because I think that's one of the things that I'm most passionate about is making sure not just, oh, that's good or that's true, but okay, because that's true. Now, how do we move forward in that truth? And, and, and how do you, how do you actually live that truth, right? Like, how do you actually step into it? That was, I mean, it's so funny that literally you sharing that story with me of you hearing that question, that might've been, I'm not positive, but it might've been the very first time we interacted, Michelle, which is kind of crazy. And, and like, since then I've just followed your work and I just love everything that you and your business put out. It's just unbelievable. And it's so interesting. Maybe it's because it's what I'm looking for, but I also think that there's something to this. I love that that our friendship started with you highlighting that question because when I perceive you, when I pe- perceive your business, the word that comes to mind for me, Michelle, is the word alignment. Mm-hmm. And you don't strike me as someone that's trying to portray an image of having it all put together, but you do strike me as someone that is deeply passionate about living the advice that you're giving people. Mm-hmm. And and so can you speak to why that, like that, internal sense of alignment that is clearly a priority for you? Like, where did that become a priority and why is it a priority for you? I think because I lead with my faith, it's the thing that's the most important to me. It's much more important. I'm, we're just going to go spiritual real fast. You ready? Oh. <laughs> but it's most important to me when people interact with me that I remember not that I'm putting any kind of pressure on myself, but how does my behavior, what does that communicate what I believe about Jesus? And what would it make them believe about Jesus because of what they see in me? And it takes all things and gives them spiritual weight when we recognize that I'm I'm not here for me. I'm not here for a business. I'm here for the Lord. And if I'm here for the Lord, then how does he want to use me in this space? And if I am, even in in any areas, there's inconsistencies, then because they know who I represent and who I'm living for, what does it do to my witness? Because that's ultimately what's most important. And so it's, it's being grounded in understanding that business is never just business when you're a believer. It's just not. It is so much more. And every interaction that you do in business is a person, a real person with a real soul that's going to real spend eternity somewhere. And 
What is my role in that? Because this person that God has put in front of me is not just a dollar. It's not just another number for my business. It is a creation of his. And what is my role in, in not in trying to make them awesome? God already made them awesome. But how can I pull out of them what God already put inside of them, even if it's a brief interaction? Because business is about, it's about people. It's about, it's about people. And so that's why I think that the business world is such an incredible place to be able to be a light for Christ because you just get to love people every day and interact with them personally. And when you're doing it from a perspective that's so much deeper than the service that you provide or the product that you sell, there really is a large opportunity there. Because I think we live in such a fast-paced world with such a masses mentality, especially in business, that when you have somebody in front of you and you treat them like a person, they are shocked by that Mm -hmm. because they're so used to being treated like a commodity and not a soul. And so it, it opens up big doors. And I've seen God do big things, big kingdom things through sales transactions in the world's eyes. Gosh, with the right I, I, perspective. I love the way you highlight the fact that it's not it's not a transaction, it's not just a person, it's a soul. I are you familiar with the author David Brooks? Have you ever read anything by him? Oh. He's a he wrote a book called The Road to Character that it was a transformational book for me. And then what's crazy is he wrote that his his sequel to that book was called The Second Mountain. And that book, he literally wrote the book because he said, I feel like I got some stuff in the road to character wrong. And and it was remarkable. And one of the things that you kind of started to question in the road to character was like, is this guy teetering on being a person of faith? Because he, I don't believe prior to writing that book, he was a person of faith and maybe he was culturally Jewish, I believe, but, but was really probably agnostic or atheist outside of that. But then you started to, he started to express some themes and some patterns in the road to character where you were like, is this guy starting to question what he believes? And then in the second mountain, like halfway through the book, he just comes, comes to say like, and it looked way different than what I would have ever expected. And I still don't have it all figured out, but now I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And it was like, holy cow, like I've been following this author and I literally feel like I've been walking with him through this conversion journey. But what's crazy, and and this is what, what you said that made me think of this. He was talking, I think he was on a subway. And he said, suddenly as this transition started to happen for him, he said he started to perceive that he was not just surrounded by people. He was not just surrounded by individuals. He started to look around and see that everyone was a soul. And And I just think that that's such a powerful concept that it changes the way, certainly that we view our day-to-day, but it absolutely changed the way we view business and leadership. Absolutely. It has to, because, and I think it's, it's easy to get sucked in to that masses mentality and to just see a a person or even if you, because if you see, this is what is beautiful about seeing people as a soul is it brings you back down to a real level where you recognize that the only hierarchy that's supposed to exist is there's Jesus and then there's all of us. That's the hierarchy. And so it puts everybody on an equal playing field of knowing there's one savior and then there's sinners who know him and sinners who don't. And equalizing that level playing field to where you no longer start to view yourself as 
It's the, we either view others with an inferiority complex or a superior complex. Yeah, that's takes, right. And it takes all of that away to where you just realize, man, you're a soul. I'm a soul. Like, how can, how can I serve you? And what, what, what do you need? And it just changes your perspective and how you interact with people. Mm, that's really good. I feel like there's something here and I, I like, I got to make sure I can phrase this question, right? Because I've never asked this question before, but you just brought it up in my mind and I'm legitimately asking for advice more than anything right now, Michelle, if it helps other people, great. Uh, <laughs> but so I think sometimes I've seen this for myself, but I've also seen this with other business leaders that sometimes we can limit the growth of our organization. We can limit our personal growth. We can limit the growth of of our business because we're unwilling to confidently step into leadership. And it's because maybe we have a little bit of a superiority complex around the idea of leadership. And it just feels like that's contradictory to what you just described. So can you describe how the perspective that you just described kind of deconstructs some of the limiting beliefs and some of the things that can actually hinder and serve as a bottleneck to our leadership growth. So you and I have limits. God does not. And if you read the Bible, he rarely uses the studs. The studs are usually the example of what not to do. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) The people that he chooses to use are the ones that the world would say are unqualified. What he needs is is willingness and wisdom, which is different than knowledge. Wisdom meaning I I know that I have limits, but God, I know that you don't. And if this is something that you want to use me to do, I am willing. That's the kind of mindset that we have to be able to step into. It's not looking at me and my capacity. It's looking at God and what he is capable of doing. And so it's actually really great. The faster you can get to the end of yourself, the more kingdom effectiveness you can have. Because the end of who you are is where God does his work. You've got to get to the end of yourself. That whole die to self thing, he meant that. And so when I die and I say, Jesus, I need you, I can't do this on my own, but I know that you can, that's where the greatest effectiveness lies anyway. When I'm willing to say, I'm going to get out of the way and I am here and willing to do whatever you need me to do, but you got to show, I'm going to show up. Now you show off. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Man, (laughs) Michelle, this feels like a charismatic church. I just want to put my hands in the air and just, woo, it feels good. I didn't know we were going to get this energetic so fast and I love it. So, okay. So when, when you give it all to God and when you recognize it's God and the work is for God, that's great news, right? It's for God. But you also say, holy crud, this is now for God, right? Emphasis on the word holy, right? Holy crud, this is now for God. And it's almost like for me, okay, well now the standard changes, right? Like if it's, if it's just to make a buck or if it's just for me to portray an image, then, then there's a kind of a standard uh, like that is acceptable there that isn't acceptable whenever I'm working for my perception of a divine and holy God. 
how do you how do you reconcile the conversation of standards whenever you change the perspective of what you're working for? So there's two things. First Corinthians 13, the love chapter, yeah. which is read at every wedding and everybody <laughs> that it's about marriage. It is it applies to marriage by all means. Take 1 Corinthians 13 and use it in your marriage for your marriage to flourish. I'm not saying don't. But in the context of what Paul is writing, because chapters and verses came later, it is the continuous letter. Chapter 12 and chapter 14 are both about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 in the middle is not an isolated conversation about love. It is a continuous conversation about how our gifts are to be used. And so what raises the standard for you is not necessarily your level of skill. It is the level of love that goes with it. And so when it says love is patient, love is kind, love does not keep a record of wrongs. When those are the things, those are applying to how you work and how you use your skills. It is not just simply isolated Eros love conversation. And so when we're trying to think about how we make sure that we are working to the level of God's standard, don't shortchange it and make it about skill level. There are plenty of people that are skilled that don't love people. And if you don't have love, the first Corinthians 13 starts out by saying, basically, if you can't do it with love, you are noise. You are nothing and it profits nothing. And in the Greek, that word nothing there means nothing. (laughs) And so that's the, when you're trying to think through what, what is the level to which I'm going to level up, you level up as a believer with love. That's how you level up. Mm. And you, you level up with the kind of love that doesn't make sense with the kind of love that is sacrificial and giving and shining the spotlight on somebody else making everybody else's life easier and trusting the Lord for yours. That is that that's the level of love that goes with it. The, the other thing that I thought about when you talked about that was at the, the end of Exodus, so you have to forgive me. My favorite person in the Bible is Moses. And oh, that's I, awesome. Yeah. I love, so we could, we could have a whole podcast episode on leadership lessons from the life of Moses. Oh, well, let's do that. Let's plan that. We'll get that booked. (laughs) I'm in. Uh, But when the the temple comes together, this is the, the building of the temple where God's presence is going to dwell. It talks about how hearts were stirred, the spirit was moved, and skill was used. And so it's this constant, if you read at the end of Exodus, like starting in like chapter 32, you're going to see this constant intertwining of God moving hearts, the spirit of God, which is where the power comes from, and then skills that God put in us being used, this constant language of all three of those happening at the same time. And so it's not trying to use skill isolated from heart and spirit. It's all three when it comes together. And do you know what ended up happening? There were so many people that were coming together that heart were stirred, spirit was moved and skill was used that Moses had to issue a decree, leadership dream right here, (laughs) to have to issue a decree, say, stop being so generous. 
We have enough and we have enough people. We no longer need anything else. That was what happened. He had to say, please stop giving and please stop using your skill. We have, we have enough. We have all the way. <laughs> Slow down. Just pump the brakes a little bit, huh? Problems every leader would love to have. That's but right. It's, it's all three of those coming together. And so often I think we just get really good at compartmentalizing. Mm-hmm. And it, it, we, we would be so much better if we would stop the compartmentalizing and realizing how all three of those, they don't work in opposition. They, they work together and they're best when they're together. Man, I love that. Okay. So we always tell people on this podcast, like we are never going to tell you what to believe, but we're also not going to ignore what we believe. And so I love that you jumped right into that. And I think like, that's why we exist here, right? And we're very clear about our mission here. And at the same time, we know that there are people with different faiths, different backgrounds, things like that, that listen to this. And one of the things that strikes me that we've already discussed that I think applies to everyone that's listening, regardless of what they believe, is that we all have this ideal or this higher, grander purpose that we are probably feeling like we're responding to in some capacity. And for some of us, you and I, we call that we call that God, and that's the God of the Bible. Some people, like the higher ideal that they are living into, it's not that it's become their God, but they are living into a title of leadership and into an ideal of leadership. Or maybe they're living into an ideal of entrepreneur, or maybe they're just trying to live into the ideal of the image that they are envisioning for themselves, right? Regardless, one of the things that I know to be true is that anytime you establish an ideal for yourself, like we've already talked about, you're also establishing a standard. And almost immediately, it's like, well, anytime I do something that deviates from that standard, the lie that I can tell myself is, oh, I'm no longer a leader. And we tell ourselves, because I've, because I've screwed up, I can't be a leader anymore. Or because, because I made this mistake, I'm not actually a business owner. Or because, because I said that or respond in that way, I'm not actually a Christ following business owner. And, and we allow that to just fill our minds with this toxicity that again, just holds us back. How would you respond to that? I would say that no one is perfect. If you can't forgive, if you can't say you're sorry, like, I don't, I don't know that anybody that's in that position should be in leadership. Repentance means a change in direction. And so it's not merely words. It's not just an apology. For the parents who are listening, it's when you catch your, you know, not that my kids don't fight, but if they ever did, and I were to catch them in a fight and it's like, hey, tell your brother you're sorry. And he's like, sorry. Like he might've apologized, but he didn't mean it. Repentance means I'm genuinely sorry to the point to where I'm, I'm gonna do my best not to make that mistake anymore. Again, it's a, it's a change in direction of realizing this action was wrong. I, maybe I responded in anger and my reaction was I said things that I didn't mean. And I, I need to now, in a sense, go back when I'm, when I'm calm and I need to apologize for what I said. Doesn't mean that there's not a problem there that doesn't need to get fixed, but I need to apologize for how I responded to it. And I need to own the things that I said. And then I need to speak with more grace the next in in that moment to make sure that it's not just a, sorry, I got mad, but a, Hey, listen, I'm really sorry. I, I blew it. I completely let my emotions get the best of me. I said some things that I didn't mean and 
Now, here's, here's the truth of how I really feel about you. This is why I was frustrated. Doesn't change how I feel about you. So can, can you forgive me? And can we move forward? Like that, that's a, a, it's a change in realizing this was wrong and this is what needs to be done instead. Can you forgive me so we can move forward? What does that do for a leader internally for themselves, like for their own personal health when they engage in that? And then also, what does it do for the health of a team? I think it makes it to where, you know, again, with, with a team, every person that's on it needs to feel equal in importance. There's no person on a team that is less important than others. All positions need to happen. And so when you, again, look at a person and you recognize how your words hurt them or impacted them, then you are seeing them, again, seeing them as a soul versus just seeing them as a skill set that exists on your team. People do not flourish when they are viewed as a task. They flourish when they are loved and treated like a person. And that's also how people grow. And so if you are just going to look at people for their skill sets and treat them that way, they're probably going to leave because they want to know that you care about them more than you care about their skill. That's right. And it feels like for the individual that's engaging in that act, right? Engaging in saying, I'm sorry, I screwed this up. I'm, I'm going to do X, Y, Z to move in a new direction, to literally turn around. When, when you take that step, number one, it takes a great deal of courage. But what I've noticed, I, I hate doing this, but I love what it does for me, right? And what, because what I've noticed is that what it does for me whenever I have to legitimately apologize to someone is that I always leave with a way more accurate view of myself. And, and it's amazing how freeing that is whenever I realize like, oh yeah, I like I need to just stop setting the standard of per- perfection that I'm never going to live up to. And I need to recognize that I'm going to make mistakes. And although I hope I never make this one again, there will be another one around the corner, probably here in just a couple minutes. And it's amazing just how it just relieves you a little bit and takes some of the stress off your back whenever you relieve that standard by engaging in an apology. Yes, a thousand percent. It's it's one of the things as a leader that if you if you never apologize, everybody who works with you will leave because yeah. it's not the, the, the reason why you never apologize isn't because you're always right. That's, mm. <laughs> that's not it. And so it's understanding I need to. And then you also just create this culture where mistakes get fixed easier and they're less traumatizing when people don't have to cover for them. But if you create a culture where nobody can make mistakes, then anytime mistakes are made, because they will be made, they'll cover them up and more will get missed. And so if you create a open culture, it's going to be so much better because people aren't going to be afraid to say, hey, I messed up and I need help. And can we fix this? So good. Well, Michelle, I know you and I have a mutual friend in Jordan Rayner, and I listened to your conversation with him. Boy, that guy is a ball of fire too, isn't he? Oh my gosh, I love him so much. (laughs) One of the things that you got hyper passionate about in your conversation with him, and I think it ties in to to this topic of repentance, is 
just the idea that maybe there's a difference between being authentic and being transparent. Mm. And, and that it seems as though there's a lot of leadership advice out there and personal development advice that is really pushing people towards transparency. Give us a little bit of your personal reflections on the idea of being publicly transparent with everything that's going on in your life. Transparent is more than having a messy house and not wearing makeup. Transparency is being able to communicate in such a way that's not just trying to be relatable, but aiming to to serve a greater purpose. And so a lot of times if we just... It, we can get comfortable in something that's messy and we don't necessarily want to just be like, Oh, it's, it's ushy gushy and fun here in the mess. We, we get to go to someone who will clean us up and we get to, to move forward. And so there's a lot of times when you're going through something that you don't always have the greatest perspective when you're in the midst of it. So it doesn't mean you lie, you fake, you do anything of that nature. But sometimes, especially in our social media culture, it's just okay to, to be quieter or to say, I'm going to wait until I get through this before I speak about it. And it's not because I'm not trying to be real, but it's because I know that right now, if I try and speak, I might speak out of confusion. I might speak out of hurt. I might not necessarily speak out of truth. Because what if what if you're going through something and it's and it's cloudy? Like it's the it's the whole idea of your hand being right in front of your face and you can't really see anything. And you got to be able to get a little bit of perspective and you got to move it away before you can see what's going on. And so, I think we're just very. We're, we're quick to share. And somehow we think that that's being transparent. And so I think that you need to be real, but I think that your transparency, who you're transparent with is, is fewer. There's fewer people that you're truly transparent with real with everyone, authentic with everyone, transparent with a few, because again, especially if we're talking about the social media space, it can start to feel like more of a a monologue. And a lot of times when you're going through something really, really hard where you need to be transparent, it needs to be a dialogue with somebody who knows you, loves you, and can speak truth back to you. And so a lot of times the rants that you feel necessary to go off on, (laughs) on, on social media would probably be better as a conversation with a trusted friend. Most of the things that you want to say need to be said. It's just, where does it need to be said in order to be beneficial? Gosh, I I love that focus. I think that is so good. And I love that you're so passionate about this. And, and I love, you know, it's really easy for someone to talk about this and then you look them up and it's like, oh, they have three followers on Instagram. (laughs) Like that they're, they're hyper conscientious about not being like, I, you know, I look at you, Michelle, like you and your business have a great deal of influence, right? And you're reaching a large number of people. And here's what I think about, like, I know, and I can't imagine you don't know 
that if you are in a messy situation, like a really messy situation, and you were to go on talking about your family and talking about your business and literally not not working on the mess, but literally just documenting the mess, it would probably be externally good for business, right? Quote unquote, good for business. Like it would probably get outrageous engagement. It would probably, it could literally, the world we live in today, it could result in money in the business bank account because you have more reach with that. So how do you monitor yourself as having the restraint, because it can be really lucrative to step in and say, I'm just going to be transparent and then I'm going to get rewarded for it. So Mm -hmm. how do you show the restraint with the business that you're leading and the sphere of influence that you have to say, there's some things that just don't belong online that I need to walk through on my own before I talk about them to everyone? It's a great question. And my answer may be considered terrible business advice, but it's great life advice, which is, by the way, more important than your, than your work. That's right. I mean, that, that is actually worth saying, like, that's actually worth drawing attention to is like, which one do you value more? Right. I have never seen it bear well for someone's soul when they chase the money, when the money becomes the point. Usually. Character is lost and compromises are made. You got to chase the purpose and you got to chase the person you're serving. That's it. That's what you chase. When you start chasing the dollar, you start losing your soul. You just do. And so if it only becomes about, I am sharing this for popularity, please understand. If that's what you're doing it for, that it's too expensive. Mm. It's just too expensive. You do not want to lose what is most important. And so when it comes to what you're chasing after, it doesn't mean I never success shame. I just want to throw that out there. This is not shaming success, financial success, audience success. It's it's not shaming any of those. It's just the point of let that be a result and a fruit of your obedience and your work and the mission. Don't make it the point. Because when it becomes the point and it becomes the purpose, your purpose will become the money, not what you actually set out to do. There's, there's no in-between. And I have never seen it work out well for someone that made the bottom line the dollar. You, you meet a lot of people who have made a lot of money that are completely miserable. And so... The smartest people and the people that I know that have been successful with money in a term of saying success being well-rounded, meaning they still have a great life. They still have flourishing friendships and family and those things more so than accumulating things. They're the most generous people I know. They take money and they don't say, what else can I get? They say, what else can I give away? Those are the people that, that make a difference. and so. That's a, that's a long thing, but I think it's just so important for us to, to spend time saying if the only reason why you would share authenticity is because it would be good for business, just understand that that means that your business is now what you're living for and your business can't love you back. You can love it, but it can't love you and you will never be satisfied because you are not meant to be a cog in a machine. 
You are a person with a soul and feelings and created for relationships and community. And even if you're an introvert, it doesn't matter. You're still meant to do life with other people. And there's no task. There's no stuff. There, there, there's no thing that will satisfy you. It won't work. It, you, you may think it will. Because what will happen is once you get that next thing, you know what you'll need in order to be happy? The next thing. The thing you achieve, the stuff you get, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. And so you will just continue to have to be doing, doing more and giving more of your soul away to find happiness that ultimately will come, but it will be really, really fleeting because you'll think, I thought that was it. I thought that was it. And I feel like this has been like part of my life lesson. So if we just go into my backstory, I had an eating disorder and my eating disorder was rooted in, I needed approval. And then I realized that this eating disorder was destructive. It was not heading me in the right direction. And so I, I tried to make my care about my appearance and the way that I look, I tried to make it less and it worked. But then I went over into another, another extreme. I switched my striving. I went from striving in that area and I became a workaholic. And it was just, it was the same thing. It was the same thing up here of I've got something to prove that just manifested itself in, in another way. And it wasn't until I realized like, poof, love, loving any of these things less is never going to work. I was just replacing one, one counterfeit with another. Who you are as a person and the sphere of influence that you were given is so much more valuable than a skill, a dollar, a position, a paycheck, a title, an accolade. Mm -hmm. So much more. And that if if it is so much more, we know it's so much more. Then then it's worth so much more of our attention and focus. I'm not crying. You're crying, Michelle. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I gosh, I, I that hits home uh, for me personally so powerfully. I am, I, and I know this about myself. And I and I'm super grateful that I know this about myself because there have been seasons in my life where I don't know this about myself. But I am a sucker for feeling like I have something to prove. Right. And for feeling like chasing, climbing the next mountain, literally or figuratively sometimes, or running the next race or, or starting this business or launching this idea or chasing down this project or serving this number of people or doing this thing or speaking on this stage, that once I get there, then that will be enough. But until then, I am not enough becomes the lie. Right. And like part of me starting this business, honestly, has been kind of this internal recognition and wrestling of realizing like that does not in any way align with my belief system and my faith because my belief system and my faith literally says that you are enough today. Actually, you were enough thousands of years ago before you were even born, right? And But at the same time, here's what I've constantly questioned for myself is I've done exactly what you've done and what you talked about where it's whack-a-mole, right? And it's like, I, I try hitting this one and then that, that, you know, maybe it's career and that one doesn't work. So I chase finances, finances doesn't work. So I chase image and I just do these different things. 
And I've thought to myself, I think I'm in a much healthier place now. And one of the reasons why I know that I'm in a much healthier place now is because I have this internal recognition that I'm, I'm still susceptible to that line of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I'm super aware that it's like, I can become that version of Alex if I'm not hyper vigilant and if I'm not hyper careful. But what I always think about is, man, when, when, the worst version of Alex came out and he was climbing a mountain recklessly and selfishly. What, what, what could have occurred that would have taken him off that striving earlier to save him a whole lot of trouble and heartache. Mm. And so how do you like, how do you engage with that person and how do you lead them towards and how do you serve them in such a way that they will find motive and belief and value in the right things? Because that's what I would have wanted for myself. So feelings are real. Feelings are valid, but they're not always true. And so you have to be able to know yourself well to where you say feelings will not be my compass. Because when feelings start leading the direction of your life, then you are dependent upon fickle human emotion as for what your trajectory for that particular day or period of time will be. And so you have to decide if I am feeling something, I can sit here and I can acknowledge how I'm feeling, but can I also come back and and look and decide, is this feeling true or not? And so let's just talk mom guilt for a second. We can watch so many people live their path that we stop living our own and we start comparing ourselves. It goes back to the whole inferiority, superiority complex deals. And so then guilt may creep in. So I'll tell you a story about my son. So this was when my son was in kindergarten. This was back when we went into school buildings pre-pandemic. And we used to do that. Shocking. Crazy. It was awesome. (laughs) But he, I am not anything that you would want in a room mom. I'm not a good cook. I don't do crafts well. And so basically anything that a classroom teacher would want in her classroom parents, it is not a skill set that I possess. (laughs) So when it comes to my child's school and what he can do, what, what I, how I can be involved, like I can come and I can, I will keep them in line on field day. If you want me to do that? I got that. That is, that is the extent of my ability. So I was, it was just, it would, it had been like one of those weeks where one of another mom in the class had gone on a field trip and she had taken pictures of them, like making memories together. And then he told a story of this mom came in and did this craft with us. And I am feeling all of the mom guilt because I can't do any of those things for him. You don't want, you don't want me to. And so then he's having career week and he's like, mom, he's like, we've got career week. And our teacher asked us if we would ask our parents, if they wanted to come in and talk about their job, I wondered if you wanted to come in and talk about, she works his way. This is a kindergartner, by the way, a boy. (laughs) And instead of me hearing a sweet request from my son, what I hear is 
oh, look, finally something you can do. So you better say yes. But by the way, feel guilty because it has to do with your work, you know, because you're a workaholic. And so you, you should say yes, but like say yes and understand what this means about how he feels about you. This is the internal dialogue that's going on in my head. So I say yes reluctantly. I, I don't even want to in this moment because how do how am I gonna how, what am I gonna do that's gonna be helpful? Mm-hmm. And then his kindergarten teacher, in the greatest gift to me ever, says to Noah, she's like, Noah, would you introduce our special guest to us and tell us a little bit about her and what she does? And my son gets up in front of his kindergarten class and he's like, you guys, my mom has the coolest job. She helps women and tells them about Jesus all day long. That is how he introduced me. He was proud of me. He was excited about what I do. He thought it was awesome. He wasn't thinking about the fact that I didn't bake the cookies for the bake sale or I didn't plan the craft for the Christmas party. He wasn't thinking about any of those things. He knew where I was. He knew what I was doing. He thought it was important and he was proud of me. So my feelings of guilt were not true. So a lot of times what we have to do with our feelings, if we have to test them, and sometimes you can test them alone with self-evaluation. Sometimes you test them with the people that are closest to you. So because of me and my bend and knowing that I can get completely sucked into work and it can start to control my brain to where even if mommy's body is present, her brain is still in her office, that can happen to me. I now ask, I ask my husband and I ask my kids, how is mommy doing? Do you, how do you feel about my job? And sometimes I get the best answers that are just minister to my heart and my soul so much. And then other times I get, mom, last night I was trying to talk to you and you were on your phone and I didn't feel like you were listening to me. And I'm like, okay, well, you have permission to take my phone out of my hand when you're doing that. If it is not work hours and I'm with you and I'm looking at my phone and not listening to you, you can take my phone out of my hand. And he was like, okay. And he's done it a couple of times. There you go. (laughs) And every time I say, thank you. Thank you. But it's, it's accountability. It's putting those accountability in place. And it's either you with your evaluation by yourself, but letting yourself know like this is a feeling and it's real and it's valid. And I feel this way. And I'm not trying to minimize that, but is it true? Cause if it's not true, it's not worth dwelling on. It's certainly not worth acting upon. I think the final thing on that specific topic that I'd like to address, we talked about it through the lens of social media, but for the leader, a lot of times it's not on social media. It's with their team or with their customers sometimes. And the the idea of vulnerability in leadership is really popular right now. And you and I both know there can be tremendous value and, and if done for the right motive, it can be outstanding, right? And vulnerability is necessary in leadership. And at the same time, there are, like, there are people now that because it's become such a hot topic, they're using vulnerability as a tactic, Right. Or there being like, there's a line where it's like, okay, you just became over vulnerable and now we're lacking, like you did this to gain trust, but now 
like we don't we actually trust you less because it doesn't feel like you have some sorts of some sort of internal centeredness or truth that you're relying on or anything like that. So how do you come at that topic of vulnerability, especially when it comes to leading a team, Michelle? When it comes to leading your team, I think it's understanding that as a leader, you should listen so much more than you talk. And if you you if you listen, then you understand where they are versus trying to tell them where you are. And it's really valuable as a team for you to be able to be somewhere so you can move somewhere together. Because if everybody is in a different place and you're trying to function as a unit, it's not going to work. And so I always try to make it a rule that the best way that I can be an authentic, transparent leader usually has a lot more to do with how well I'm listening than how much I'm speaking. And so if you're trying to be vulnerable by sharing more, stop and let them talk more and listen. And then it will help you to be able to respond to what they need versus what you think that they want to know. And it becomes much more of a dialogue. So the best way to be a vulnerable leader is by far by listening by far. I love that. Gosh, are you familiar with who Jordan Peterson is? Do you know that name? I know that name. I can't think of his book right now. He's a clinical psychologist. He wrote 12 rules for life. And, and he, he's someone that I listen to fairly regularly as someone that is just like 10 steps over my head, like every time I listen to him. But one of the things that he talked about or I was listening to a lecture by him recently that it kind of relates to this conversation. He talked about like, you, you can notice when someone is lecturing versus when someone is speaking from experience. And, and the phrase that the phrase that he used is he's like, we can tell from a mile away, like there is something in our psyche. There is something in our internal being that knows whenever someone is giving a message that is part of their dynamic core. And that is Michelle, that is just you in spades. I just, I like, I trust, I trust your message so much just because I'm like, Oh, like she's lived this. And, and not only she's lived this in the past tense, she is living this right now. And so all that to say, before we jump to our last question, I just wanted to thank you for your time. And more than that, I wanted to thank you for being someone that is truly committed to living what you're talking about. Cause it makes such a difference for me and so many others. Before I ask you the last question, I want people to know where they can follow you and connect with She Works His Way and everything that y'all are doing. Absolutely. So our Instagram is our favorite. No offense to any of the other social media platforms, but if you go, <laughs> you go to She Works His Way on Instagram, we have a shared leadership model. It's important to me. You're not just going to see my face. You're going to see several faces that are in play when it comes to running a business there are multiple skill sets that are required. And so for me to pretend to be an expert in all of them would be silly. And I am grateful that we have an incredibly gifted team that shares the same heart, but God put different skills in us. And so you'll see and love many faces at She Works His Way that are all in the trenches of this with you, of feeling like there's a, there's a way to do this. There's a way to work that honors God from a foundation of truth into practical application. And so you can also go to sheworkshisway.com. We've got a 
slew of free resources that will give you an idea of our ministry. And you can also, if you want to see what membership is like on the inside, I will give you my code. You can go to shework.com, click the join a member button, and you can use Michelle at checkout. And that will make your first month of membership as a free gift from me. And you Mm -hmm. can come inside and understand because the content is one thing. The community is another. It's another thing. The best thing, 100% about being part of She Works His Way is the women you get to meet. Because I know one thing is for sure. We have members that are across every industry. They're in every single one. Probably the coolest moment of my life was knowing that we had somebody in secret service. That was, (laughs) I was like, we have hit another level, people. Um, Not even sure that which the name she gives us is real. Don't even know. (laughs) But what is, what is so exciting is seeing that the same, the same heart and the same struggles exist in, in every industry and to be able to have a community where, because I think anybody that this is your mindset for work, you feel isolated and you feel alone and you feel misunderstood everywhere you go. And so come hang out with us. We would love to get to know you. Gosh, I'm not a woman and I want to join. What the heck, Michelle? Unbelievable. Uh, I I love it. Unbelievable what y'all are doing. I'm so excited about this last question. I want to ask you the one that you highlighted in the beginning. What's Mm -hmm. the thing that you teach that's the absolute hardest for you to live out every single day right now? Oh, it's the easiest thing. Our number one thing that we always say is no matter what, do what matters. And it is always going to be easy and natural to respond to what is urgent, not necessarily what is important. And so understanding the difference between what is important and what is urgent will be something that I will never claim to have mastered that I will never be without accountability on and that I don't even attempt will ever become natural to me. And so I need the reminder every single day that no matter what, do what matters. Drop the mic. Unbelievable. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. I hope that this is the first of many conversations. We really appreciate your time, Michelle. I'm so excited about everything you're doing, Alex. One of the things that we teach and that we truly believe at Path for Growth is that there's a difference between growth and health. And just because you're growing doesn't mean you're healthy. So it's not guaranteed that you have both, but it is possible. And for me, I just respect and learn so much from Michelle because I think that she exemplifies a leader that is simultaneously pursuing growth, but also pursuing health. Thank you so much for your time, Michelle. And if y'all are interested, we're putting the link so you can get all the information on the She Works His Way membership. And we'll also put a link to one of the resources that they provide, which is a business tracker. That's just an absolutely awesome tool for making sure that you are staying in touch with the progress your business is making. Now, one of the things that I want to start doing with these conversations 
is providing you with really specific and actionable application questions. So it's not just me asking the guest questions, but at the end, we give you some things to reflect on. So I wrote down a couple that I think are just going to be really helpful for all of us to engage with what we learned in this conversation. Number one is the first question that Michelle talked about in that panel with Jim Collins and Pat Lencioni and Dave Ramsey. It's what is the thing that you teach or share that's the hardest to live? I think it's great for us to have awareness around what's the thing that you're deeply passionate about, the principle or the truth. And you don't have to be a speaker or teacher to identify something that as a truth you are deeply passionate about, so passionate about it that you share it with others. What's the one thing that you teach or believe that's the hardest to live out? The next question that I'm going to ask you is, are you asking your business to give you something that it can't? I think one of the most powerful moments in this conversation was whenever she articulated so assertively that your business cannot love you back. And that's just a reminder for me that I can't get so caught up pursuing growth in the business that I stop pursuing growth in my relationship with God and my relationship with people. So let's be honest with ourselves and and ask ourselves in this season right now, are you asking and expecting your business to give you something that it can't? And if the answer is honestly yes, then what are some actions that you could take to get to a healthier place? And then finally, the third question, because this whole episode really revolved around the fact that business is personal, who are the people that you are called to pour into during this season right now? Again, who are the people that are around you that you feel uniquely called to pour into and invest in during this season right now? I want you to take those questions seriously. I want you to think about them. I want you to maybe talk with a close friend or teammate or other leader about them because I think that powerful things happen whenever we engage other people in what we're learning and then start taking action. Y'all, I'm so grateful for your time today. Know that we're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.